of you guys could have a seat. We have some really big announcements as most churches in our area and schools and um, the government. And so for Renew, um, our first announcement is that we need all of you to join our Renew Facebook group, our Renew Church Facebook group. And this sounds a little silly to intro with this, but there's just things changing every 48, 72 hours. Um, we're counseling for the next two weeks, but we have to reevaluate. And so we don't know whether we're able to start up again on that third week. And so if you're not on our Facebook uh, group, not the fan page, but the, the Renew Church Facebook group, you're not going to be able to have the most current information on our gatherings, on our postponements, on our announcements. And so that's really the line of communication our church uses primarily. So go ahead, pull out your phone, add Renew Church on our Facebook group. Secondly, our move to El Dorado Theater has been postponed. The district, as you know, has shut down all of the schools around us. And so they're not allowing any uh, groups to gather at the theater. And we'll, again, we'll be postponing our gatherings for at least two weeks anyways. And so we're, we're still planning to move there. We're not sure when, when, and as everything else probably in our lives, it's kind of a wait, another wait and see. But we have really good favor with the facility manager and when he's able to give us consistent Sundays, we'll be uh, taking that, uh, that theater. As I said, uh, number three, our Sunday service will be on Facebook Live for the next two weeks. We're hoping to open up again on April 5th, but um, please stay tuned for you know, our announcements. We would like to continue running our small groups. And so I have sign-up sheets actually on the first chair if maybe someone can help me uh, pass them down the rows. If you're not in a small group, this is really um, maybe our only expression of community over the next weeks and maybe months. And so we're hoping to keep our gatherings small, but still be able to gather in small groups, whether it's in person or for those of you who are uncomfortable or who feel sick, we're going to be able to um, do a hybrid of in-person and virtual gatherings. And again, we're hoping that this would be small enough for us to uh, follow the protocols of our, of our state. But we're looking to continue small groups. And if you're not in one, please sign up so that you can stay in community with us. And lastly, this is kind of open-ended, but we would like to see organic and smaller house church gatherings on Sunday mornings. So we're postponing for two weeks which and doing Facebook Live, but we don't know how long this could go, right? I'm hoping that in two weeks, most of what we're going to be doing will go back to normal, whether that's small school or church. But if you look at Spain and Italy, we see them kind of uh, quarantined for extended period, periods of time. So we have to be willing to embrace kind of that scenario as well. And so I think the best way to move forward is that um, if some of you guys, maybe you're young adults, you're not living with older folk, would be willing to open up your home or your apartment for smaller and organic gathering, gatherings, maybe putting a cap on that at 10 or 15, um, and, and just kind of having us do church, but in smaller settings. And I think that a live stream personally is not really church. It's it's you hearing a sermon, but not 
the community of breaking bread, you know, prayer for each other, uh, worshiping together, and, and supporting and loving each other. And so that's what I'm hoping our organic small church will be able to facilitate, that we'll live stream in worship. You guys can sing with us. We'll live stream in the sermon, probably all of that through our common room, into I'm praying for like 20 um, homes that will open up and be able to facilitate really small groups of people. When I think about uh, postponing our church, I think about doing it in solidarity with the community. And Dr. Ken will uh, share about that. But here's kind of how I see uh, the, the, how essential a church gathering is. So if you look at maybe the top grid, it's survival, going to the grocery store to buy food, being able to get medical care. I would say that's like level one in terms of being exposed to other people. And then when we look at essential gatherings, we think about schools and job, and I would put church on that level. So our sign that we're going to reopen is probably going to be looking for cues from the elementary schools close to us, elementary school, high school, and junior high. That As they open up, we feel like we're about, I feel like uh, we're that in that level of importance um, as a large church gathering alongside of people going to jobs. If you, uh, the third level is social, right? Birthday parties, going to coffee shops to talk to people, going to restaurants, and then lastly, recreational. I would say, man, if you're, if you're afraid, which I think uh, makes sense, and you're bunkering up, um, and you're not going to social or recreational events, I understand you just sitting at home by yourself, live streaming our church service. But if you're going to go to you know, Kelsey's birthday party, if you're going to go to the movies, please find a way to go to small group and to join other people on Sundays. Does that make sense to you? So I respect those of you who say, man, like I'm, I think that this is extremely serious. I have people in my life that's vulnerable. I want to protect them um, to do everything virtually, which we will set up avenues to do for small group and Sundays. But I don't want you to be watching like Pixar, you know, for, was it onward with like 14 other people sitting around you. And then you're like, but I can't make it to church because I, I really feel like theologically that we're more important than watching forward, which is a really onward onward, which is a really great, great movie. Um, it's also important. Okay, so I'm going to invite Dr. Ken up. He's just going to share a little bit about why we want to be a part of a community effort to slow down the spread of this disease, and we do find that to be really important. Thanks, Wilson. Hey, church, good morning. Um, so uh, Josh Garcia and Pastor Wilson uh, did a really nice interview on Facebook, and I think that has a lot of great information uh, but a lot of you have asked, you know, about uh, personal risks and, and so on, and are we going overboard with social distancing, and what is the principle behind it? So just a couple of minutes. The graph you see on the left uh, shows really in one picture, like, why are we doing all of this? And it's not so much protecting ourselves as individuals who are not at the uh, risk age, so most of you are not at the risk age. I am currently at the risk age, over 60. But uh, most of you are not. And so the risk of you getting an infection and dying from it is extremely small. It's not zero, but extremely small. 
the main thing we're trying to do is to flatten the curve. So the, r the red curve is what would happen if we just do life as usual and the virus comes and it's a two to one infection rate. So everyone who gets it will infect at least two people. And if you multiply that out, it grows exponentially. So suddenly we'll get a huge bolus of people who are at risk, who get sick, who, who go to the hospitals, and that will completely outstrip our hospital resources. Uh, uh, ICU beds will be outstripped, uh, gloves and gowns will be outstripped, uh, respirators will be outstripped, and we will not be able to care for people, and then that'll be a disaster. Uh, even at UCI Medical Center now, we're anticipating a shortage of surgical gloves and gowns for even our routine surgeries as we allocate towards uh, coronavirus. Uh, so we, we don't, we're trying to avoid that bolus. And the way to avoid that bolus and to flatten it out, even if the total number of people infected is the same, if we can buy time and flatten the curve and push it out, uh, it's the second curve where it's below the threshold of where we can keep up with the need uh, with our resources and personnel and push it out further, and especially if we can push it uh, into the summer. Uh, then we can keep up with the demand, and then people can get the care that they need. Uh, the next slide shows uh, some simulations. Different, this is on Washington Post. You can see these little simulated dots and so on. Uh, that uh, a strict uh, quarantine probably won't work, especially in, in this country. Uh, people will still go out, and it, it won't work. Uh, a, a social distancing will work, and that's the bottom left. And a strict social distancing will result in a curve bottom right. Uh, so we, obviously we want to be able to flatten the curve and get less people sick. But if we can buy time and delay the bolus and spread it out, uh, that's really the strategy. So uh, I think for us as a body of Christ, we, we want to do what's responsible. We want to be a part of what our community um, at large is doing to prevent this bolus. Um, but I think it's also important that we also understand truth and convey truth and convey peace, uh, especially in a time when fear is rampant. And, you know, there's already so much uh, so social anxiety, mental health issues, and then you overlay this on top, it just puts everyone over the edge. And I really think it's our, uh, our mission and contribution to speak peace and truth uh, to those around us. So uh, open to any questions afterwards. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much, Dr. Ken. We really appreciate you. Um, we're going to move into our sermon today, and it's pretty much going to address the coronavirus through scripture. But I also feel like, man, we just need a time to process and to everything's changed in the last 72 hours. You know, we've known about this virus for months now, but once the NBA went down, it was like this massive domino, everything else that we knew and kind of relied on even without thinking about it, whether it's our schools or our jobs or, you know, our trips to the grocery store look different. And so I wanted to provide a time for us to just kind of, own that and, and reflect a little bit. So here are some questions. You don't have to answer all of them, but on a scale of one to 10, what is your fear and anxiety level? And how about those around you? Like maybe your parents, your grandparents, your neighbors. 
Secondly, what has changed in your life over the last 72 hours? I think a lot of us feel like things that we had under control have just been ripped out of our hands, whether it's travel, whether it's um, our own personal health or income. And so what, are, what feels out of control in your life? So true to renew fashion, we're going to go ahead and take four or five minutes to talk and just process some of these things. And then we'll look at uh, the book of Philippians um, chapter four specifically and talk through a passage, which I think the Lord is speaking into our context right now. All right, let's go ahead and break off into groups. Um, try to practice a little bit of social distancing at the same time. All right, I hope you guys got to just process a little bit. I think for me personally, uh, when this thing came up, just so many things felt like shut down. You know, we, me and my little team, we launched our Kickstarter book. I pressed launch, and then four hours later, the NBA shut down, I'm, and then just, you know, coronavirus just flooded every single news feed. I'm like, well, that's done. And then I called... Um, our El Dorado facility manager and uh, me and Jonathan Whitmore met with him, I think Wednesday, and he's like, it should be fine. And on Friday, he's like, it's not fine. <laughs> you know, it's, it's over as well. And uh, me and Jonathan, we were going to go to Clippers game on Monday. And so it was like, you know, our yearly trip out. Um, and I think it was, again, Tuesday, we we're hanging out and we're like, we should be okay. It's five days away. We should make it. And of course, that's, that's gone as well. And I know, I know those, uh, for, for me, feels kind of big. In the grand scheme of things, they're nothing uh, in terms of what you're going through. Some of, some of you are looking at maybe postponing graduation or losing your job or your retirement fund has been cut in half. So I just want to acknowledge that there's some really serious ramifications um, when you think about your grandparents or even if you're at an at-risk age like looking at those stats are frightening as you think about this virus going around. And so I just think a lot of things have been torn away from our control, have, have felt so uncertain. And even when we look at the next couple months, we don't know if we're going to look like Italy or Spain. And that is, that is uh, really scary. And then we look at this next passage in Philippians chapter 4. Um, let me get this slide up. Could you give me the next slide, Kenan? Okay, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 to 7. Let me see if this works. Okay, good. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, uh, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, as we read this passage, it seems, especially the first two verses, extremely insensitive. Would, would you say so? Like, as, as, I, as we look at all the ramifications of the coronavirus worldwide, to just be like, rejoice in the Lord always, you know? If, someone, if you saw that on a news feed, wouldn't you kind of, like, Christian vomit a little bit? Like, gag reflex? Like, it's almost like this Band-Aid, this really spiritual Band-Aid put, put on by the Apostle Paul. The word always is upsetting because it's not just speaking about 
when things are good, but in every moment, including now that we're supposed to rejoice, that somehow we're supposed to live a life of gentleness or peace in, in the midst of chaos. And it, it just feels so irrelevant. When, I, when I'm thinking about this, I'm wondering if Paul is sitting at a beach drinking pina colada, if he's on sabbatical, if he's watching Netflix, you know, he wrote like, be joyful always, like on this nice recliner. Because then I would just feel like he has no idea what we're going through. He has no idea what it means to uh, be rocked in 72 hours. But you look at the first chapter of Philippians and you see that Paul was in prison. You see that he's pinning these words with chains around his ankles and maybe even his wrists. That the way that we feel like we might be quarantined, he's stuck behind bars. He can't go where he wants to go. The prison guards are surrounding him. And he's looking at death. He, he does die. And, and yet in this moment, he doesn't know whether he'll be released or whether he'll be executed. So he's writing the words of rejoice from a place of great despair, from a place of imprisonment and chains. And then he's writing it to a church that, that, that is also in turmoil. So not only is he in personal turmoil, he's writing to a community through this letter that has been uh, unraveling as well with the persecution surrounding them, people losing their jobs, families being split up and put into prison, churches scattering because of persecution. Paul is not writing only out of his suffering, but he's writing to people who are suffering. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, why he's able to say and experience these things is really because of verses six and seven and, and eight, even though we won't be going through that passage. So really he puts the result and then he lays out the process. He says, this is how you will feel uh, and how you'll experience the chaos of your life if you do these other things well. And, and the shock value is there because we're, we're looking at this in our context. We don't know how to get there. But then he lays it out for us in verse 6. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in, in Christ Jesus. Um, one of my professors, Ben Shin, talked about how we often read this passage and we're dyslexic about it. Because instead of being anxious about not being anxious about anything, we're anxious about everything. And instead of praying about everything, we pray about nothing. Right? So we're anxious about everything and we pray about nothing instead of being anxious about not being anxious about anything and praying about everything. And when you look at the things that have hit you in the last 72 hours, in the last two weeks, what have you prayed about? And what have you been anxious about? Have you come to the Lord with your anxiety or have you come to a place of panic and worry? Because we look around us and we see what panic and fear looks like. We've been staring at that face for 
hours on end over our Facebook feed at the markets and at people around us. And, and Jesus is saying, instead of looking at the face of fear, look at my face. Put your eyes on me. It says, present your request to God. And I, what I envision is just like all the things that I'm worried about, all the things that feel like they're outside of my hands, that I would take them and I would present it and put it into the hands of the Lord and say that I trust you with all these things that I don't have control over. I trust you and I re-surrender all the things that I thought were mine but are actually yours. Now, it's different. You'll probably have approached this whole week differently if that was how you lived your life. You know, for the mature Christian, you're surrendering when things are good too. You don't have a death grip on things. And you've already, God's already holding even your life and breath in his hands, not uh, 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 alongside of your job and finances and health. And this, when you walk through this trial, this epidemic, with having surrendered, living a lifestyle of surrender, it feels different, right? It feels different. But for those of us who realize now that it was in our hands and now it's ripped away, we know we've surrendered it to the Lord. That evidence of surrender is that our anxiety starts to fade. When it's in our hands, we're anxious. And we, and we know we've prayed through and surrendered it when that anxiety turns to peace because we realize that God is near and he's holding it and that he cares. The second thing I see here is that we're supposed to do it with thanksgiving. And thanksgiving is a powerful act. In the middle of our worry and anxiety, in the middle of things going wrong, he says, as you prayer and petition, as you surrender and come to me with your worry, do it with thanksgiving. Enter my courts with thanksgiving. What does thanksgiving do? It gives us another perspective. It gives us the 3,000 foot view because anxiety is a microscope. Anxiety hones our visions and eyes into the very few things that are going wrong, that are in the air, that are a mess. But when we step back and we thank the Lord, we get a different perspective. And things become, go to scale. The small things become small again and the big things become big. God, thank you for running water, that my faucet still works. Thank you that my family is intact. Thank you for this next breath. Thank you that you've secured the most important things, not only in this life, but in the next, right? That if I face death, I have eternity in front of me, that nothing can separate me from your love, that you've died for my sins. Those are immovable and the most important aspects of eternity. And God says no virus can take that. Right? No financial crisis can rip that away. If those are the most important things to you, you'll have them in your hands. Give thanks as you petition. And just like petition and presenting your requests do, thanksgiving also puts your eyes on the Lord, knowing that he is near. As you do that, as you think about the nearness of God, I think about uh, me and Liam, right? 
of course he comes up. And, um, and he, you know, he's in the same pandemic as we are, but he's just playing, he's laughing, you know, he, he has no cares in this world. He, he, was, he was just like walking on top of the couch and I'm like helping him along. We're telling stories, I'm telling stories to him. It's like every day, it's like all the other days. Uh, he's just a toddler running around. Why? Because, because I'm next to him. I'm near him. And he knows that I will take the weight of everything, right? That I'm going to be providing for him. His next meal, the roof over his head, that I'm the hand that holds his life and provision. And under my covering, he gets to find joy and have peace. Are you under the covering of the Lord? Is God your father and are you convinced that he cares about your needs, that he cares about your life, that he sees you and you can rest under his care like my son can, right? When I think about all, every superhero movie, there's this moment of distress between like a normal peon and this supervillain. And, and, and then it resides when Superman arrives. It resides when Batman shows up, right? It resides when something more powerful comes in and you see him. You're waiting for him. He swoops in and everything's okay. The music changes from like this high-pitched, you know, high, um, scary sound to this low rumble of, of security. And do we know that God is near? that his hands are sovereign and it holds us. And he's more powerful than anything we'll ever encounter. When we really see the face of God, when we believe in his nearness, we find his peace. That the peace of God transcends all understanding and will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. Rejoice in the Lord. Right? We're not rejoicing because things around us are okay, because they're kind of not. We're not rejoicing when we look at the circumstances, and we don't have peace when we look around either. But it's in the Lord, and it's of God, under the covering of the Lord, that we find and are able to express peace and joy that transcends all understanding, and it guards us. It guards our hearts from panic, from anxiety attacks. It guards our minds from going worst case scenario every single moment. It guards us so that even if we're doing the same thing as everyone else, because we need toilet paper, because we want to stock up on food, or because we need to buy um, zinc, we do it with a totally different internal space, right? We might be lined up at Costco with the same shopping cart in the same line, but they're afraid and we have peace. They're in anxiety, but we're in the Lord. It's a totally different internal space. And it's because the Lord is near. It's because he holds us and he guards our hearts in the middle of it. You know, I go back to the first verse again and I think about this last sign it says, let your gentleness be evident to all. That there's an evidence to everyone around us that God is near. When we are generous instead of hoarding, right? When we have peace instead of anxiety. 
when, when we approach it differently because our life isn't just in our hands, isn't primarily in our hands. It's in the hands of the Lord. As a family group, we were reading um, the Do Not Worry passage in Matthew. I think it was chapter 5. And it says, will worry add even one day to your life? Will worry add even one day to, the, to your life? Not only is your lifespan and number of days counted by the Lord, every person on the face of the earth, God has counted the number of their days. That doesn't mean we act unwise. That doesn't mean that we're reckless. But it means that someone else, the Lord, our Father, holds our life in his hands. And there's evidence to that. You know, we come from an amazing um, lineage of Christians. Back in the early church, I remember Mark Sosi telling me this in my seminary class, and I'll always remember. He said that, you know, in the first century, there was no medicine, and the medicine they did have oftentimes made people worse. Like, drink some gold, you know, that's not going to help you. Um, and so, or put some leeches on. And so they just had no real grasp of how to heal people for centuries. And some of the things worked and we've learned from them. Other times it was useless. And so a plague was, it would threaten everyone. No defenses, no real medical care, no antibiotics or antivirals. And so when plagues came through cities back in those times, people would... Um, kick out anyone infected from their city and just leave them to die. And even families would lead their children into the wilderness and walk away. Husbands would walk away and cast out their wives. Neighbors would chase each other out. Even after living together, maybe for 20 years, they would chase each other out of the village because they were so afraid of these plagues that would rip through and kill uh, large percentages of the population. But the Christians were known for doing something completely different. They knew that there was eternal life. They knew that their life was in the hand of the Lord. And so they came together. They would share. They would care for each other. And as they cared for one another, they would also care for the community around them. They would invite the sick into their homes. They would go out to the places where they were discarded and bring food and, and you know, medicine. And they would say, hey, I'm, I'm going to either see you become healthy or die with you in sickness. They were willing to give up their very life in order to see someone else healed. When everyone, you know, panic and anxiety, it makes us selfish, right? We've seen so many memes and short clips of, of selfishness to the nth degree, fighting for the 50th roll of toilet paper and not being able to give that to someone in need. Uh, fear and anxiety puts us on survival mode where it's us against the world, where it's me and my family and, and we're going to survive and, and push everyone away and it's all about us. And then the Lord says, peace. Have peace from me in me. Trust me with your life. And we live that out in the way that we're gentle, in the way that we're kind when everyone is rude the way that we're generous when everyone is hoarding, the way that we share when everyone is panic buying. You know, just this week, um, um, one of our church members like 
I, they were just texting in to see if we're okay. And I said, hey, you know, let me know if there's anything I can do. I'll share my toilet paper and zinc with you, right? Like half a joke. But then they're like, oh, actually, we kind of need that stuff, you know? And so I'm like, okay. And so we we're counting the, but we never, we never went on a Costco raid or, you know, we, we, we haven't stepped foot into any supermarkets. So I'm like, babe, how many toilet paper rolls do we have? And she's like, we have eight. And I was like, should we give them like two rolls? She's like, let's give them three. And then she threw in like diaper wipes and we, we gave them like a third of our zinc pills. And there was this sense of let's think differently than the whole culture around us. Like what does it look like for you to share with this community? Right? We have one bottle of hand sanitizer. Our, our, our family group came, we used a third and then we brought the rest here to church. Um, and I wonder, I wonder if our small groups would do that for each other. That if someone ran out of toilet paper or, or food or, um, or water, that would say, hey, let's bring what we have in so that no one is in need. That's what the Acts chapter 2 uh, church does, right? It says that in this crisis, in the, in the crises that they faced over and over again in the first century in the early church, it said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled in awe by the wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold properties and possession to give to everyone who had need. I wonder if this is a defining moment for the way that our community leans on each other that our friendships would become family, that the way that we care for each other would look so different than the world around us. And as we learn to be generous with each other, to give and receive, that generosity, I'm praying, would spill into our neighborhood and our cities. You know, that you would bring toilet paper to your workplace. You would share your hand sanitizer with your students. And to say, hey, when everyone else is afraid, I have the peace and joy of the Lord. And it looks like this. It looks like looking out for my neighbor and saying, can we go to the store for you and drop something off at your doorstep so you don't have to be exposed because you're a little older, because you're more susceptible to the disease. Or maybe a family, they don't get vacation time or sick leave, but their kids are, are out of school. They don't know if they can keep their job and take care of their elementary school kids. And as a, as a community, as neighbors, we step in. Like, come to my house. My kids, I can take care of my kids while I'm out of, I'm out of a job because you know, I get unemployment. My job is secure. Or young adults saying, hey, come hang out with me. My, my, um, my school's out. I have nothing to do. You know, I'll take care of your kids while you go to work. To think of really practical ways that the nearness of God is evidenced in us. This is an amazing opportunity for us to do this in a way that is socially responsible, right? In a way that we're not ignoring health protocols, but we are moving towards each other with our hearts instead of moving away. That even if we're isolating a little bit, our, our hearts are engaged to serve and to sacrifice in ways that are totally different from the community around us. I'm praying for our small groups that we would look for ways to care for each other and to be missional. 
And I'm praying also that our Sundays, we would have so many people in our community say, hey, my house is open. Come, you know, bring five people, 10 people, 15 people. Come on out and we're going to worship the Lord together. We're going to sing together. We're going to hear the sermon together. And we're going to serve together, each other and the world around us. God, we just come to you this morning and we, we know that this world is in panic and fear. And we pray that in the middle of it, you would gift us with uh, peace and joy. And we ask that you would come and be close to us. That some of us, we've been far away from you. We've held our whole life in our hands. Um, and, and now we're, we're afraid. And I pray that in this moment, we would, we would again say, God, you are King and Lord. Help me again to surrender my family, my very breath, my finances, my health to you. You know, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to recommit your life to Jesus. Because what a reminder it's been in the last 72 hours that we have very little control of our life. But Jesus is offering, offering to take our lives into his hands. You know, I think about all the other moments I've said this, and it feels like a sacrifice. I think about all the other moments I've presented a gospel. It's like, oh, do you want to give your life to Jesus? You're sacrificing a lot. And in this moment, we remind ourselves that what a privilege that the God of the universe wants to hold our life in his hands. He wants to forgive us of our sins and bring us into his family, a family that looks and serves in such a different way than the world around us. If that's you this morning, I just want to pray a simple prayer with you. And you could pray it out loud or in your heart. But it's really just saying, God, would you forgive me and would you take my life? That's what it means to be a Christian. It's an intention and a decision. And then God walks with us through the rest. Some of us have been at church for a long time and we've never surrendered our life. It's always been in our own hands. Maybe today, today we decide to do that. Go ahead and pray this with me. God, I, I confess that I'm a sinner. That I've done things that are wrong and evil. And Jesus, I just ask you to forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. And I give my life to you this morning that you would hold my life, my big and small decisions, that you would hold my family. I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.